Americans United for Life is a national leader in law and policy. But where does law and policy come from? They are the fruit of a productive dialogue between state lawmakers, constituents, and policy experts. Americans United for Life contributes to this dynamic conversation with Defending Life, the nation's most comprehensive playbook for life-affirming law and policy across the spectrum of issues relating to the human right to life. Today, I'm joined by Steve Aden, Chief Legal Officer and General Counsel, and Natalie Hedran, Staff Counsel at Americans United for Life, who together have led the effort this year to publish Defending Life 2020 in time for the new year as state lawmakers are coming into place across state capitals across the country to consider legislation for the American people. We'll discuss the work that goes into Defending Life and the change that Defending Life can help spur across the country. I'm Tom Shakley, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law. I'm Tom Shakley, and this is Life, Liberty, and Law, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Steve Aiden and Natalie Hedren. Steve, returning to the show, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. It's always a pleasure. It's great to be here with you. And Natalie, your first appearance on the show, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Good to be with you. And we've also got our own Noah Brandt returning to the program. How are you doing, Noah? Always happy to be here, Tom, especially with these heavy hitters, Steve and Natalie. This, these, we, the Americans Died for Life 18. We're all here. It's very exciting. I think that's right. So we're going to talk about one of the key products of the legal team at American Center for Life, Defending Life 2020 this year. Steve, this is the 15th anniversary of this incredible work. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Defending Life? Sure, Tom. Defending Life is Americans United for Life's flagship publication. Uh, it does average about 500 pages, and I think this year's edition is about 500 pages. Thankfully, it's front and back. Uh, and we've done what we can to make it as light as possible, but there really is a lot that goes into defending human life from conception to natural death, and we've tried to put as much in there as we possibly can. Uh, it is the nation's playbook on defending life in all 50 states and the state houses across America, and it's used by hundreds of state lawmakers, uh, state policymakers, uh, federal senators and congressmen, uh, and others uh, in the public sphere and in the media when it comes to understanding what's going on in the pro-life movement and um, getting the latest cutting-edge uh, legislation, model legislation, to protect human life. Yeah, I think it's an incredible product. I know even before coming to Americans United for Life, I had read and seen previous editions of this work, and it kind of blew me away. You know, it's one of these products that you think, um, you know, it's in its 15th year this year, which is great. But you sort of wonder, why didn't this come along sooner? Why is nobody else doing this sort of work? You know, Americans United for Life, Charlotte Lozier Institute, and a few other groups in the country are doing incredible work documenting over time what's happening, what the trends are, where things need to go. That's critical work in the fight for life. Oh, it sure is, Tom. Uh, you know, the life issue is uh, across the board uh, a very complicated one sometimes. Uh, it not only encompasses abortion, but also bioethics, uh, what happens at the end of life or in terminal conditions. And uh, we speak to all of that, uh, and Defending Life addresses all of that. So we've tried to make it comprehensive in that respect. Um, 
I would say that defending life is probably the essential uh, product, the essential place for the pro-life movement to be um, because so much of what we do as a movement has to do with law. We want, of course, to see Roe versus Wade overturned and the um, ability to stop legal abortion uh, returned to the 50 states. Uh, we want to see protection for law enshrined, uh, protection for life, rather, enshrined in law. Uh, and Defending Life uh, speaks to all of that. Uh, so I often say that if uh, for some reason uh, I was told that uh, you had to uh, fold up shop here at AUL and you could only bring one thing with you, I would throw a copy of Defending Life into my briefcase and walk out and start <laughs> all over again because I really do think it's the indispensable component of the pro-life movement. Yeah, that's that sort of uh, the house is on fire scenario. What do you <laughs> yeah. grab? You know, and you pick up defending that's what Dolly I would grab. Madison style. He yeah. grabs defending life. I, I would, it. I would, yes. Steve, you know, there's digital versions of this, but right now I'm looking at the physical version of this book. It's a big book, like you said, it's 500 pages. It's it, it seems to me like it would be daunting as sort of the leader of this project. You know, it's it's 2020 now. This book took a long time to write. Like, how long did it take to compile this? Are you already thinking about Defending Life 2021? How does just going about helming this big project work from your perspective? Well, no, I wouldn't exaggerate how heavy it is. You couldn't take two of these and build your biceps to the level that you have them, uh, by any means. Um, very charitable. There, there are uh, different components to it, and we think it's very user-friendly. Uh, the first set of components is a set of feature articles, one from our uh, chief executive officer and president, Catherine Foster, just on the state of the pro-life movement, how we are winning, and we are winning, uh, where we're winning, uh, what the most effective uh, strategies have been over the last year. And then there is a article uh, that surveys the gains over the last year, specifically in state policymaking, and that's by our government affairs counsel, uh, Katie Glenn. And then there is a um, an article by our senior counsel, Clark Forsyth, which looks at the situation in the courts and asks, really, how close is the Supreme Court to overturning Roe versus Wade? And what are the r reasons uh, that the court may adopt uh, to overturn Roe versus Wade? It's a very compelling article, but very readable. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we have our 50-state survey. Uh, every year we survey all 50 states in terms of how pro-life they are or not. Uh, and we rank them, 1 through 50. And that list, what we call the life list, uh, is also in Defending Life tw uh, 2020 and in every issue. And then we have reports and recommendations of the pro-life situation in all 50 states. We uh, give some time to each state. Uh, there's a clickable map on our website, aul.org, if you're interested in the situation in your own state. Uh, but these pages uh, devoted to each state look at the situation in each state, uh, what's going on in the laws there, what's going on in the policies, what have they done well, and what do we recommend that they do better. Uh, so it breaks down uh, very well. Uh, and I, as I said, I think it's very user-friendly and anyone can pick it up off their desk and not only uh, build their muscles with it, but also find a great deal to engage with in this, uh, in this volume. Uh, don't forget at the end, we also include some of our model bills, um, some of the things that we think are most useful in, in the 50 states. Yeah, yeah so very good point. 
Natalie, tell us a little bit about the work that you do with Defending Life. You are one of the key contributing editors to Defending Life, and you spend a great deal of time over the course of the year in making sure that the recommendations that Americans United for Life is making to the states and exactly what Steve's outlined um, across the spectrum of life issues, but also across our three core areas, the Infants Protection Project, the Women's Protection Project, and the Patients Protection Project, that all of the model law in there is sound. So tell us a little bit about what it takes to put this together, the research and making sure that this is such a strong product. Yeah, so um, in the state report cards, we list out the relevant state laws, and my job is to make sure that they are up to date every year, take out the laws that have been repealed, add in the laws that have been added, and make sure that they are written in a way that's very user-friendly. You don't have to be a lawyer to um, to read and understand what we've put forward for you. Then I go through the recommendations for the states, and I see where they can where they can improve, what model bills of ours they can potentially pass this coming year if they're interested. And then I go through after all that is done, which does take a while. <laughs> there are 50 states, but um, after all that, I go through and rank them every year, uh, calculate... Um, using an objective scale that we include for the reader in the back of the book, calculate what they've done, what they've had, what they have, and what is in effect, and then come out with a ranking. And there's no one else in the country that that does this, right? That tells this story comprehensively about the state of the states. This is such a powerful thing that you've done. I, I am proud that we do take the time and energy to do this because it, it's incredibly helpful um, for state legislators, but also for the um, just the average person in the states for them to understand what's going on. So I think as an example here, I'm just looking toward Virginia, uh, nearest state to us here in the District of Columbia, as an example for what Americans United for Life presents in defending life. And so we explain sort of what the situation in the state is broadly. We talk about Virginia, you know, having fairly comprehensive legal protections for women, the unborn, the newly born, and that it's one of only a small number of states that has enacted meaningful protective regulations for things like emerging biotechnologies. Um, However, um, we're also realists. And we note that in recent years, pro-abortion forces have launched multiple efforts to repeal or undermine the state's life-affirming regulations. Those efforts generally have so far failed, um, but the fight is continuing. And we look through this across, again, those three areas I mentioned, infants protection, women's protection, and patients protection uh, on a host of issues. So, you know, you're exactly right, Natalie, as you're describing this. You really don't need a JD. You don't need to be a policy wonk. You don't need to be a lobbyist um, to get a sense of what this is. It goes through very clearly. Um, You know, Virginia protects infants born alive at any stage of development from deliberate acts undertaken by a physician that result in the death of that child. Very clear, plain English. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is the sort of thing I think that translates things that too often are, are treated as if you have to be an expert. And it brings them into a zone where you can say, actually... All Americans are called not only to understand the situation in their state and and even across the country, but to figure out, well, how can I be helpful in my uh, state house? How can I be helpful in engaging in the public square in in advancing life-affirming laws that respect the integrity, the dignity, uh, and the human rights of every person in the state? It's a great thing. I'm so glad you chose the great Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, my adopted state, Tom, because if you're in Virginia, you can click on the clickable map on the AUL website and see that Virginia was ranked 26th this year. Uh, there are a lot of pro-life states out there and a lot of competition for a good, strong, life-affirming policy. So 26th is no slam. Uh, it has generally uh, good pro-life legislation. There's some things that it could do better. Uh, and then click through that. 
uh, map and go to the report and the recommendations, as you mentioned, for the state of Virginia, or excuse me, the Commonwealth of Virginia. I appreciate that. Or any other state. Being from the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, (laughs) yes, I know. Uh, Or any of the other 47 states besides Kentucky, I think, which is also a Commonwealth. I might be missing one. Yeah, we think it's a terrific product, uh, very high on it, but uh, the most important thing is that it can be used by anyone who is concerned about protecting life in the policy realm, uh, lawmakers, uh, public policy advocates, uh, citizens who want to make a difference in their state houses. Uh, and we have uh, intentionally made it very user-friendly for that reason. You can download any portion of Defending Life or the whole thing if you like, or you can order the hard copy book uh, by print on demand, I understand, in a way that you'll explain for the listeners later on. It's just on Amazon. It's great. It couldn't be simpler. So where most folks are getting so many other things these days, you just go right on Amazon, search Defending Life 2020, and it's available in paperback, and it's also available on Kindle. Something that I think about when it comes to defending life that is so important is we're talking about Virginia, right? And whenever I think about 2019 and just sort of pro-life abortion things, I think about Governor Ralph Northam and sure. Representative Kathy Tran, right? Like it was, it was, a, it was big news. With Governor Northam talking about potentially, you know, not offering a child who survived abortion uh, life-extending care, and that was a big story, right? It was a bad story, but it was a big story, so we remember it. But there are so many stories, Natalie, about 2019 that I don't remember, right? It was a long year. A lot of different things happened. And what's so important about this is you, we get to catalog all of them, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pretty, and it's all there, right? It's, it's, it's important to remember the things that happened and know how to approach this next year, right? Because even if you look at the life list, number two on the life list this year is Arkansas, right? And I can't, you know, thinking back, I don't really remember any news stories about Arkansas on the news when it comes to life, but there is a lot of movement. And that's what's important about defending life is it sort of, it remembers it so we don't have to or because we can't because our brains are fallible. So I think, I think that work that you're doing, Natalie, of going back and seeing what every state has in the books, what they did this past year, and teeing them up for 2020 is so important that, you know, we can talk about it for hours. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, we do have a little did you know section that'll list something interesting that happened in this in all the states this year. Um, so that way, yeah, like you said, that way, because 2019 was a long year. Um, and so, for example, in 2019, Oregon considered legislation that would have prohibited abortion based on the sex of the unborn child. I forgot about that, but it's it's there so we can remember. Um, a great e- non-discrimination uh, act, yeah, right? Yeah. And this even though that effort, right, failed, it's good It's good to remember that they tried. And maybe yeah. maybe uh, an entrepreneurial legislator could look at that from Oregon and say, oh, they tried that in 2019. What was right about it? What went wrong? How can I do it better this year? This is a great thing, I think, that Defending Life provides hope as well. So it's, it's both a document for a realistic portrait of what happened in the country in the previous year and where things should go if we want a more life-affirming culture. Um, but it also provides hope in this way because it outlines very clearly, as we say, you know, what does it look like to be engaged? Um, you know, and and it, it outlines not just the did you know section, as Natalie mentioned, um, but things, you know, practical questions like for every state, what happens when Roe is reversed? And we can say very clearly based on various state laws, whether um, abortion, whether the violent ending of human life, uh, will be lawful in that state or not if Roe were reversed on the on the federal level. 
And so things like that, you think, you know, even if you're in a state that has broadly good laws like a Louisiana or an Arkansas or what have you, there's still so much work that can be done, um, so much work. That's right, Tom. Uh, we often say that it takes uh, a team of uh, representatives, uh, elected officials, appointed officials in a given state to create a political culture with the will to uh, enact uh, strong life-preserving legislation to get it uh, upheld in court uh, and to enforce it. Uh, in fact, if you look at the number one state on our life list this year, it's Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana is, of course, in the Supreme Court of the United States currently uh, trying to protect the right to safeguard women's lives through health and safety regulations that are uh, very similar to uh, any kind of uh, health and safety regulations that apply to all forms of outpatient medical care. And yet, uh, the abortionist in uh, Louisiana June Medical is challenging it as uh, an inhibition to uh, abortion access in Louisiana. Uh, But Louisiana didn't get there coincidentally. It took years of good policymaking crafting, thoughtful, legislative, fact-finding, things like that, uh, a process in the case of this law, which is an emergency transfer law, uh, we were uh, privileged to be a part of a number of years ago. And uh, it took the political will of Louisiana to defend it and to uh, try to see it upheld, and now they find themselves in uh, the Supreme Court. So it's, I don't think it's coincidental that the number one state for good policy uh, Louisiana is also uh, in the Supreme Court this year because uh, really it's a, it's a whole political culture of a state that affirms life uh, in, um, in every way possible that comes together like that. And across the whole spectrum too, right? Louisiana is such a great case study for this. It's easy to become cynical in our politics and to think everything's sort of balkanized or that there are no common threads uniting us anymore. Well, Louisiana shows us that that's just not the case, even on issues that seem so contentious. You know, you've got John Bell Edwards, a great Democratic governor in Louisiana, very pro-life. You've got uh, Representative Katrina Jackson in Louisiana, a co-sponsor for this important uh, health and safety patient protection law that is now before the Supreme Court, um, also a pro-life Democrat. Um, and so you've got folks advancing this issue um, sort of in the spirit of, of, of Governor Robert Casey in Pennsylvania so many years ago with uh, what resulted in Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1992. People from across the political spectrum, across the ideological spectrum, um, different ages, backgrounds, and, and beliefs coming together to say we can recognize what human rights look like. We can recognize what we share in terms of our human dignity, and it doesn't have to be ideological. We don't have to just base our decisions based upon our the political factions that we find ourselves in. And so that's, a, that's an incredibly powerful thing with Louisiana, but also with what uh, Defending Life showcases. So Steve, Natalie, I want to ask you both, we'll start with Steve. What was one of the most interesting or unexpected things you learned in this 15th anniversary edition of Defending Life over the course of putting it together? Well, Tom, one of the uh, most interesting things that we discovered was that there really is an intangible component uh, to gauging how effective a state will be in protecting life. And we, this year, for the first time, decided to recognize that intangible component. Uh, It's a small part of the ranking, and we call it momentum. 
It's that part of the analysis that says which way is the political climate for protecting life going? Are they becoming stronger, bolder, uh, more effective, or are they shrinking back? And uh, there were several states, I think, that got points for being proactive, being effective in that respect, uh, for having that momentum. And other states that uh, historically are pro-life have tried to do some very good things, but um, have been um, a little bit more on the sidelines the last several years, and as a result have uh, perhaps fallen down a few notches in the ranking. Uh, That was interesting to me. That's so cool, Steve. It reminds me of baseball. You know, so many things remind me of baseball, but this reminds me of baseball. (laughs) Because it's, you know, in baseball, when a team is a a great team, a team that on paper is the best players and should be winning, when they're slumping, the biggest indicator of whether they'll win their next game is whether they won or lost their last game. When a team is on on a high, you know, when they're winning eight of their last ten games, they're probably going to keep winning. Right, and you can get to the playoffs, and that's why you can have sometimes teams that are on paper maybe the tenth best team in the league winning the whole playoffs of the World Series because they have that momentum. It's a very streaky game, and you are so right. And as a fan of the World Series champion Washington Nationals, I couldn't agree more <laughs> because they caught fire at the end of the year. Thank you for leading into that reference. But if Hawaii had a baseball team, <laughs> <laughs> certainly. Natalie, how about you? What was one of the most interesting or unexpected things you learned? while putting together defending life. The first thing was kind of tied into that, actually. It was the the drastic directions that states are going in. You have states mm. like Arkansas and Louisiana that are really, they're on momentum. They've been going hard for these past few years, and you can really see that. But then you see, especially in 2019, New York, Illinois, going in the exact opposite direction. Yeah. Um, just the widening gap, I guess, between the two. Um, I, I really noticed that, that while I was compiling uh, DL 2020. Um, but the other thing I thought of as I was going through was the um, the conscience protections and how that could be strengthened in the states and should be um, perhaps something to focus on this, this coming year. Yeah, conscience protections, so important. The idea that those who provide um, health care in America, those who provide medical services are not simply, they're not robots. They're not automatons just providing a service in the they're way. They're not just tools. Yeah, they're not just tools. Yeah, that's, it's not like just ordering something off Amazon and saying, well, we're just going to pr- fulfill whatever the request is. It involves ethical and moral judgment. You know, and so, so many, so many medical procedures, especially, require ethical and moral judgment. They require virtues like prudence, which we've spoken about before on Life, Liberty, and Law, understanding what that means. There are all sorts of things that a person might ask for where when you look at their situation, it's not going to improve their lives. It's not going to be good for them. And you know, you want a doctor, you want a nurse, you want a healthcare provider to use their ethical and moral perspective, their training that they should hopefully have benefited from over the course of their education to know when is the appropriate time to exercise uh, prudential judgment and to have the courage sometimes to be able to tell uh, a prospective patient You do need this thing you don't know about, or you don't need this other thing, which you're asking for. So conscience protections are so important because it's about helping the physician, helping the healthcare provider be who they're meant to be. And it's also about ensuring we actually have good, healthy, life-affirming outcomes. And if we just turn one another into the sort of equivalent of a service provider using no ethical or moral judgment... We end up in a, in a bad place, actually, and we see some of that in terms of, of what you're describing, Natalie, in or, Illinois and elsewhere. We're being coerced into making a decision they know to be unethical or feel to be unethical. Yeah, and that's at the heart of, of so many 
life decisions, right? You know, we, we hear so often the phrase choice and you think, well, if, if a woman, for instance, feels that she must have an abortion to succeed in life, like the Casey jurisprudence says, unfortunately, in, in their reliance interest argument that women rely on abortion to succeed, if people are in that situation, well, they are being coerced into a particular decision. That's not free choice. And I think you're describing that so well, Natalie. Yeah, but in fact, the law protects women in the workforce from discrimination on the basis of being pregnant. So the law already expresses that pro-life pre- uh, preference against uh, discrimination, uh, if you will, in the womb. Uh, and those who are speaking out, such as this actress at the Golden Globes recently. Michelle Williams, yeah. Yeah, I think they're just misguided. They don't recognize that women are already empowered by law, and I think by culture, uh, in a way that where it's not necessary uh, to destroy human life in order to succeed to get ahead. As many people have said, it's not necessary to destroy a life in order to get a little gold statue. So, Steve, Natalie, what is your favorite thing about working on defending life? It's a long process. I think, you know, for those of us who remember working on research papers in school, term papers, things like that, it wasn't always the funnest process. Um, But there's a lot of exciting things about this. You're, you're interfacing with state lawmakers across the country. You're meeting real people. You're hearing testimonials and examples of, of witness and other important momentum. So tell us about some of that. Well, my favorite thing is, uh, besides working with a terrific staff, uh, like, uh, Natalie here, like, uh, Katie Glenn, our government affairs council, others, uh, who work night and day, uh, for weeks on end to put all this together in such an amazing way. My hat's off to them. Uh, besides that, it's getting in one uh, document everything, kind of a snapshot of where the pro-life movement is, what kind of uh, victories have we won, uh, where are we, how close are we to winning the battle for life. It's all in one place, uh, and it's all 50 states. Uh, it's just a tremendous, tremendous piece of work, and it uh, I get a lot of satisfaction from reflecting on that, that it's all right here for anybody that wants to uh, see once a year we stop we take stock uh, we look at where we've been we look at where we're going uh, it's just a very exciting process how about you natalie well i've learned so much from steve and steve is <laughs> that was that was going to be my answer as well <laughs> but i'll pick something new no I, I i also have a lot of fun um reading through the law and then putting it in a way that the average person can understand because i do want other everyone to be involved in this issue. Abortion, bioethics, conscience, end of life. I think it's important that the average person get involved um, and understand what's happening in their state. And so I really, I, I do enjoy put, compiling that, making it digestible. And then I, I do have fun ranking the states. <laughs> That's important stuff. Yeah, I think finding that ranking, figuring out where you are in the list and, and where you want to be, right? Especially if you're a state toward the bottom, figuring out what do we need to do? And then you pick up the copy of Defending Life and you get to work. And it's been an important part of the pro-life movement for many years. You know, there are two things that we cite in this year's edition, both uh, recent coverage of the impact of American United for Life, but also defending life in particular. One from USA Today, uh, where a USA Today Arizona Republic analysis found that Americans United for Life was behind the bulk of more than 400 um, pro-life bills introduced in 41 of the states. And the USA Today piece notes that their analysis compared known model legislation with bills introduced by lawmakers um, using an algorithm um, to detect similarities in language. So they're looking at essentially what are the laws that have been implemented 
And what are the model laws that Americans United for Life has created to assist those putting these laws in place? And they're, they're recognizing what an impact that's been. 400 bills in 41 states in recent years. That's an incredible impact. I think they meant it as a, uh, a backhanded compliment because they said, well, these are copycat <laughs> bills. Uh, exhibits a gross misunderstanding of the political uh, lawmaking process. In fact, uh, most of all legislation, whether inside the life context or outside of it, comes from taking models of uh, strong legislative policy and adapting it to state-specific needs, and that's all we're doing here. Uh, but we were very gratified to see the extensive research done by USA Today and the Arizona Republic and uh, the recognition that AUL has done, quote-unquote, the lion's share of the drafting of these hundreds of pro-life bills across the country in the last 10 years. Uh, it's a tremendous um, compliment to AUL and its staff, uh, and I'm very, very glad to see that. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, the Washington Post similarly covered uh, our work, and it made the point that, that we've made before, which is that um, we want to propose law and policy that's not just good in and of itself, but also law and policy that can appeal to the courts uh, that are ultimately going to have to review it uh, if or when it's challenged by opponents of, of the human right to life. And so, you know, the ability to be good in and of itself, but also to withstand judicial scrutiny, I think is one of the things that differentiates and that makes distinct the, the work of Americans United for Life. Yeah, precisely. And uh, AUL's legislation is built to last. Uh, I'll give you one example. Indiana passed a bill requiring that human fetal remains be treated with dignity and respect uh, because that's what they are, human. Um, of course, uh, the abortion industry challenged that bill. They got lower courts to strike it down. That was uh, adapted from AUL model legislation. It's still uh, one of the model bills in defending life. Uh, that case went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. And this past June, the Supreme Court reversed the lower courts and in a summary decision said that states have and always have had uh, a compelling interest in defining uh, human fetal remains as human and protecting their dignity and worth. Uh, and that's opened the door for uh, states around the country to consider similar legislation uh, where if they can't stop abortion because of Roe, at least they can remind people that these are human beings and they deserve dignity and respect. Uh, so that's just one example of the many AUL drafted bills that have gone up to the Supreme Court and uh, come back down uh, victorious. I remember, Steve, in my political science classes as an undergrad, that you had sort of these different models of political behavior, especially among the states in the U.S. system. And one of the most prevalent models that people talk about is sort of the leader states and the follower states, is that you have states that sort of innovate on policy, and then you have a lot of other states that will kind of follow them and say, they tried this thing, it worked out really well. And I wonder how that sort of relates to Americans United for Life and our model legislation. How do states adopt our model text? How do we help them sort of make it unique to their state and make it work for them personally where they're working? Yeah, great question, Noah. Um, our staff, of course, uh, receives emails and phone calls from uh, dozens and dozens of legislators across the country every year. And in each case, uh, we tailor uh, our model legislation to their needs. They may say, well, uh, we're in a state where uh, we can do a lot to protect life um, and we'll offer 
uh, things like um, parental notice legislation, our uh, prenatal non-discrimination act that prohibits abortion on the basis of uh, the baby's gender or the baby's race or the uh, presence of Down syndrome. We may offer legislation prohibiting uh, suicide by physician um, or uh, a resolution uh, clarifying that the law does not allow it. Um, in each state where uh, so-called compassion and choices and other advocates of suicide by physician have uh, uh, reared their heads, we have been there to oppose them and will continue to do so. Uh, so whatever their needs, we will work with them to adapt our uh, model legislation, uh, both in terms of the framework, the state-by-state uh, -state differences in the way they handle legislation, the way they deal with fact-finding, uh, the way they format, um, and what the needs are uh, for uh, protecting life in that, in that state. Okay, so Natalie, we've spoken a little bit to this point, but I'm curious as we close out here, how can folks in a sort of an entrepreneurial state, you know, they look at our life list and they say, we really want to move up in the rankings. What is the most kind of practical, actionable advice that you can give them? I think that's exactly what our state recommendations are for. Um, we bro we've broken them up by Women's Protection Project, Infants Protection Project, other priorities. We've listed out um, where we think they can improve listed out the specific Unborn Infants Dignity Act, for example, or our Prenatal Non-Discrimination Act. Um, and we offer those models in the back, and we're, of course, also willing to help if they want to reach out. Um, and then, but it's not just on the, it's not just legislators that can help this process start, uh, kickstart this process. Um, I think individuals in, their, in, this, in these states can also take a look and see, oh, well, I notice every other state has um, some kind of parental notification, perhaps. So, but my state doesn't. They can reach out to their representative and say, well, this is something I'm interested in. Work from there. Yeah, that's a powerful thing. I think, you know, an example of this is uh, the story of somebody like a Charlie Gard, you know, a few years ago, um, made international headlines uh, as a particular victim of sort of the, the legal culture of indifference in the UK toward the value of human life, um, the role of parents in, in life and death decision-making, and how all of that intersects with all the other aspects of our culture, our legal system, et cetera. And, you know, Americans United for Life had model law that spoke to this issue before the case erupted. Um, and it continues to speak to it today in, in Charlie Gard's memory, in his honor. And so I think you, you see that as a very tangible example where sometimes this stuff can seem abstract. Um, but we realize it always, always comes back to the human person, whether that's a, a person or a patient directly impacted by it, like a Charlie Gard or whether it's a, it's a person, as you're speaking to Natalie, in the States, just saying, I know that I have to do more um, because of a personal experience in their life, maybe with a mother and a father, maybe with their own baby, maybe with a miscarriage, maybe with some issue of patient protection across the spectrum of life. And defending life can be so powerful because it is this integrated product, as both uh, you, Steve, and, and Natalie have spoken to. You've got defending life. You've got the life list. You've got the model law. All things working together to say, here is your playbook for life. Here's how we're going to build a better culture. So getting Defending Life 2020 couldn't be simpler. Go to AUL.org and download your free copy. Uh, it's available digitally. And as we mentioned previously, you can also go to Amazon.com. There are links on our website as well to the product in paperback uh, if you want a hard copy version uh, or uh, in Kindle if you prefer that. You can also get it on Apple Books. 
Um, there's so many ways to get it, so many sure. ways to equip yourself. And if they just want to look at their own state, again, they can click on the map uh, of their state, and uh, just those pages relating to the state will come down. For example, the great state of Missouri they can click on, right in the middle of the country, the heartland, <laughs> and see what's going on there. <laughs> or or where Natalie's from, the great state of California, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which needs to move up the lifeless ranking. It, it does need to move it up. It has, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah it Did has, it move it up? It, it was did. 49 last year, yeah. and this year it is uh, at uh, 47. Congratulations, California. <laughs> There's Congratulations, hope. California. <laughs> There's hope. All right, so something we do every show, as you know, Steve, is our shot of gratitude. So, Steve, what is something you are grateful for? You know, Tom, I'm reflecting on the fact that I live in the best city in the country for uh, professional sports. We have both the Stanley Cup and the World <laughs> Series this year. I love it. And the Wizards are next. DC just doesn't have enough for Steve. Not enough power. <laughs> they need more acclaim. More power and glory, yeah. right? <laughs> All right, Natalie, how about you? What's something you're grateful for? I, I have a huge window in my office. And when I look out it, I can see the Cathedral of St. Matthew the Apostle. And I have a really beautiful view of the sunset. It's a nice way to end the day. Especially in the winter, Especially right? in the winter. Noah, how about you? What's something you're grateful for? You know, Tom, lawyers get a bad rap, okay? <laughs> Especially <laughs> from folks <laughs> like you. <laughs> lawyers get a bad rap. And as our listeners know, Tom and I are just average guys. But the lawyers, Very relatable, the yeah. lawyers who work here at America's Dead for Life are salt-of-the-earth, fantastic people. And I'm so glad that there are people here because, like Natalie said earlier... You know, the law is written in sometimes an impenetrable way. Maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's because it needs to be that way. But you guys translating it, making it to where a state legislator who's maybe a part-time legislator, maybe maybe they're a, uh, a doctor, they sell insurance or something, they can walk into a caucus meeting at, the, at their state capitol and hold defending life. And just like Margaret Thatcher said at the conservative caucus meeting, they said, what do you, what do you stand for? And she held up Friedrich Hayek's The Constitution of Liberty and said, this is what we stand for. They can put down defending life. And that's a legislative agenda for them right there that we could occupy all three months if they wanted to. So I'm, I'm really, really grateful for the work of all the attorneys here and especially you, Natalie and Steve. Thanks very much. No, that means a lot to me. Here's the $5 I promised you for saying that. <laughs> No money has exchanged hands. Tom, <laughs> what's something you're grateful for? I echo 100% Natalie's love of the light in wintertime. It's a, it's a great blessing. Steve, Natalie, such a pleasure to speak with you. Likewise, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. All right. As we mentioned, you can go on AUL.org, get your copy of Defending Life 2020, our 15th anniversary edition. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Rate the show and leave a review. Message a friend. Let them know you've discovered life, liberty, and law. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, just email us, life at AUL.org. I'm Tom Shakely, and until next time, thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Law.